how about this is where the big boys play? Yeah. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's just dishonest enough to work. But what if all our stars have to take a legitimate drug test for steroids? <laughs> Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to January of 1996, Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 is your WCW show, looking at Clash of the Champions, along with Randy Savage winning the World Heavyweight title. And Volume 3 is your ECW show, looking at ECW House Party. I'm here in Volume 1. We will be joined by Chris Lacey very shortly, but I'm also being joined by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good evening. Uh, good evening, Bob. Uh, Wayne, kick us off with the news. The WWF had a series of satirical segments on Raw this month parried in a number of things about WCW titled Billionaire Ted's Wrestling War Room the weekly skits included actors played by playing Ted the Huckster and the Nacho Man while the segments were largely ineffectual a reference to WCW's lack of steroid testing policy made waves in Atlanta we will have much more on this story on both volumes of this month's show Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble for the second time in as many years, eliminating Diesel in amongst the final four that included Karma and the British Bulldog. Vader was a noteworthy debutant on the show, although he will be remembered more for an angle that saw him suspended on the Raw the night after. Elsewhere, Bret Hart retained his WWF title against The Undertaker thanks to interference from Diesel, and Goldust defeated Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title. Also on the show, Ahmed Johnson defeated Jeff Jarrett, the Smoking Guns retained their tag titles over the Body Donners, and Duke Druzy defeated Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the pre-match Raw Rumble qualifier of sorts. Vader was written off television the night after the Royal Rumble, getting involved in a highly effective altercation with Gorilla Monsoon. He went too far with a post-match beatdown on Savio Vega before Monsoon came out. Vader ended up giving Monsoon a Vader bomb before declaring war on every WWF performer and official. The suspension will be enabled him to go away and get surgery on his shoulder. Monsoon was replaced as president by Roddy Piper. There was mixed business news this month as the WWF recovered from a hugely disappointing pay-per-view figure from the In Your House 5 pay-per-view from last month with a strong house show loop. 0.33 or 76,000 bar it for In Your House 5 makes it the lowest for any pay-per-view they've ever done, saving grace perhaps being the increase in price. But January saw a string of sellouts or at least very strongly attended events. The only real change in December, from December rather, is the return of Shawn Michaels. It's a good job, as it said the talent was shocked by the payouts from the In Your House 4 pay-per-view from Winnipeg in October, payouts being down between 70% and 90% depending on who you are. Attempts to get both Dan Severin and Sabu and on Royal Rumble failed. 
Paul Heyman talked, or strong arm Sabu, out of doing it, and Severin seemingly turned it down to political issues with the UFC. There is still interest in bringing in the Ultimate Warrior, but evidently nothing has changed on, on the long list of stumbling blocks preventing his arrival. Jim Cornette is helping out backstage more on, on at shows, although it's said that he doesn't currently have a formal role with, with the company. And finally, expect the Hunter Helms the character to evolve somewhat towards a character similar to Ric Flair. Helms has spent the longest time of anyone in the Royal Rumble, lasting nearly 50 minutes. On to the ratings for the month now. Raw didn't air on Christmas Day. Nitro did the usual 2.5, it usually does. New Year's Day saw Raw, headlined by the Raw Bowl, beat out a Hulk Hogan-Ric Flair match on Nitro, 2.6 to 2.5. Raw became the first show of the two to break a 3.0 uh, rating on January the 8th. Nitro still did well with a 2.8. On January the 15th, Nitro did a massive 3.5 to Raw's 2.4, but that victory was short-lived as the Vader Monsoon angle on January the 22nd, combined along with the post-Raw Rumble show, did a 2.9 against Randy Savage's world title win, which did a 2.7, and January the 29th was too late for the time of recording. We will cover that next month. Okay, guys, we need a new job. How about uncut, uncensored, uncooked? Ah, no, we, we've already stolen that one. How about ripping off unbelievable? You know, like, not believable. Yeah, like Ted's wrestling is not believable. Boys, it's no time to start telling the truth. We really need something original this time. How about this is where the good old boys play? Or even just the old boys play. Who are you calling old, brother? What did I just tell you guys? This is no time to start telling the truth. Yes, Nacho Man. Let's fly. How about... This is where the big boys play. Yeah. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's just dishonest enough to work. But what if all our stars have to take a legitimate drug test for steroids? Mm. You don't have to worry about that, brother, because we're not in the WWF anymore. Yes, this, uh, this is where the big boys play. The new WWF generation. There's nothing old or artificial here. We open up 1996 on New Year's Day with the Raw Bowl, including Vince McMahon's introduction is the promise of the Nacho Man, the Huckster, Scheme Gene and Billionaire Ted. These are people badly dressed as Savage, Hogan, Oakland and Ted Turner. They've even got an American football themed green and white ring match, which looks pretty cool. The Raw Bowl is the tag team tournament. The Smoking Guns come out in white American football-like clothing. They're facing off against uh, Yokozuna and Owen Hart, who are dressed in red. Also in the match, the team in yellow, Razor Ramon and Savio Vega. And Usher gives Razor a bunch of flowers. Razor beats him up for that. Goldust blows the Razor a kiss from by the stage. Out in black are Sid and the Kid. Each team gets one timeout, and a team is eliminated when any member of their team is eliminated. The rules, preposterously, even allow for partners to wrestle against each other. The guns shake to wrestle each other, then double tag in both Owen and Yokozuna. Yokozuna seems quite up for the fight, Owen less so. The match takes an absolute age and is a proper mess. At one stage, Razor unloads on the kid, hitting a Razor's edge. DBRC calls for a timeout. He then distracts the ref while Sid lays out Razor and the kid pins Razor. We're 15 minutes into the show and that's one elimination down. 
After the restart, Owen hits the neckbreaker on Billy Gunn. They set for a bonsai drop, but Bart pulls Billy off, tripping Owen in the process and dropping him into the path of the bonsai drop. Owen gets pinned, and we're down to Sid and the kid against the guns. Razor shoves the kid onto Sid. The guns get a quick roll-up pin and retain their titles. The heels are absolutely pissed. Jerry Lawler says his sources have told him that Shawn Michaels' announcement next week is that he'll be retiring. We then get a full replay of the whole plan match from In Your House 5. Essentially, I don't think they taped enough uh, at the end of the last tapings to get a full run of shows in. So on this show and the next one, we do get matches from the pay-per-view. During the match, we cut to the Randy Savage impersonator doing his Slim Jim spot. Four brave souls carry King Mabel to the ring. It's all a bit in vain as Diesel beats him in about 10 seconds with a big boot. King invites Diesel to come in. He declines and walks off with Miss Raw Bowles, who's called Ashley, uh, who the King has been flirting with unsuccessfully at ringside all evening. We cut backstage to the Vince Lombardi trophy presentation. Brooklyn Brawler presents the guns with a trophy with his face on it. The guns smash the trophy and dump an ice caller over him. They announce Vader being in the Royal Rumble. We get a great video package showing Vader working out, including him doing a backflip on a trampoline. Next week, they're going to be showing us Brett against Davey from In Your House 5. We end the show in the boardroom of billionaire Ted. Ted says they need more action from their stars. A normal member of the board pulls out a projector and shows a Razor, Razor Ramon doing the Razor's Edge. Huckster says he couldn't pull that one off. Nacho Man is then asked if he can do Ahmed Johnson's Tiger Bomb. He says he can't. Huckster even declines to climb the top ropes. At his age, his feet don't leave the ground. Billionaire Ted gets tired of all the no's, so asks them what they can do. Huckster and Nacho get up and do their trademark poses, and the show ends with the line, the new WWF generation on top of the hill, not over it. We open Raw on January the 8th with a preview of Shawn Michaels' announcement. Hakushi faces off against Jeff Jarrett in the opener. This is actually quite decent for the time it got. Jarrett wins with a figure four leg lock. Jim Ross introduces some names confirmed for the Royal Rumble, including Jake the Snake Roberts. He then cuts to Scheme Gene, who teases his hotline. After Ahmed Johnson wins a squash, Jeff Jarrett charges it in with a guitar. Johnson ducks and Jarrett scarpered. Johnson then destroys the guitar. Ted DiBiase said he's been searching in vain for his next million dollar champion. He unveils the ringmaster, Steve Austin from WCW and ECW, uh, but he's not mentioned as Austin by name. We get to Shawn Michaels' press conference. Michael says he's been advised by his doctors not to compete anymore, but despite this he'll be participating in the Royal Rumble. Preposterously, this gets howls of applause from the so-called press. This is bookended by clips from Jim Ross, who gets interrupted by Scheme Gene, who says he has a great exclusive on an entrant who's going to be in the Royal Rumble. Ross asks Gene to give us one for free, so he does. Vader. We then get comments from Diesel, Razor Ramon and Owen Hart about Shawn Michaels' return. We end the show with an encore viewing of Brett against Davey Boy from In Your House 5. Uh, after that, we get comments from The Undertaker and Paul Bearer, and then we return to Billionaire Ted's boardroom. He's searching for a new slogan for his show. They mock the Big Boys Play slogan. Sarah's character suggests that, but then wonders what might happen if their stars might have to take a legitimate drugs test. The clip ends with the narration saying, WWF, there's nothing old or unofficial here, before a message shows on the screen saying, for a drug drug program advisory, sign on to America Online tonight. 
We start January the 15th Raw with a brief message about Martin Luther King Day. Owen Hart defeated Marty Jannetty in the opener. Sonny, meanwhile, is doing skits playing pool, wearing not very much. Uh, the remaster wins his first Raw match with the Million Dollar Dream submission. We get an excellent, if slightly soppy video package looking at Shawn Michaels. He says the dream of a little boy to become the WWF champion is still alive in this 30-year-old. Back in Billionaire Ted's war room, he wants to know why he can't buy the WWF and how the WWF can still be better than WCW. He then orders his board to go out and buy some of the WWF new generation. Vince McMahon has an in-ring interview with Goldust. He wonders whether Goldust is trying to play on the homophobic fears of people, in particular Razor Ramon. Goldust asks McMahon whether that's an extra microphone in his pants or if he's just pleased to see him and that he's very selective about the men he's after. Backstage, Razor Ramon arrives and he's looking for gold dust. The main, ma- main event is Isaac Yankum DDS against The Undertaker. It's 1996 and things haven't changed. It's Lawler this time attempting to snatch the urn. Well, in this case, the smelted chain from Bearer. Undertaker sees him off. This match wasn't awful. Yankum is a big wrestler who can at least work, but nothing more special than that. Undertaker wins clean with a trimstone pile driver. Goldust does an interview to end the show with Doc Hendricks. Razor Ramon beats the piss out of him as the show goes off the air, using trash cans and other backstage weapons. Goldust at least got a shot on on Razor's groin. We then get a shot of Sonny in the bath. No, I'm not making this up. Uh, we get to Razor backstage. He's being calmed down by officials. We then cut back. Razor is back to attacking Goldust. The show ends with a pair outside, brawling in the snow. Goldust jumps in, into a getaway car as the show goes off the air. That belt would rival the crowd. I'm going to go out on a limb here, man. Back up a little bit, brother. Everybody out there in TV land, I'm going to give you a chance to be somebody. Come on, get the camera on that hand right there. I want everybody out there in TV land to touch your screen and feel what it's like to be destined for success. Go ahead, gang. I got it feel up there. Feel what it's like to be well, born a champion, man. You better put your hand up there, McMahon. I didn't come out here just to run my mouth, brother love. I'm here to prove every single thing I say. Me and the Million Dollar Man talk. I'm in the Royal Rumble, man. I'm going to prove how good the ringmaster is. After I toss every single one of the WWF superstars over that rope right there, man, I'll be the one getting the shot at the World Wrestling Federation Championship. It doesn't mean anything compared to the million dollar belt, of course. But in WrestleMania, man, I'm gonna do it all and you're gonna see what the million dollar man and the million dollar champ are gonna accomplish. And then I'll have every single thing that I want out of the WWF. And why is that? Because everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> And we come out of the TV report into the Royal Rumble. I should firstly welcome Chris Lacey to the show. Chris, good evening. How do, boys? And Wayne, if you could kick us off with the results for the Royal Rumble. No problem. Duke the Dumpster Drops, he defeated Hunter Hearst Helmsley by disqualification. Winner being entry number 30 and the loser being entry number 1. Ahmed Johnson defeated Jeff Jarrett by disqualification. The Smoking Guns defeated the Body Donners. Goldust defeated Razor Ramon. Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble, with the participants being Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Henry O'Godwin, Bob Backlund, Jerry Lawler, 
Bob Holly, King Mabel, Jake Roberts, Dory Funk Jr., Yoko Zuna, One Two Free Kid, Taco Amori, Savio Vega, Vader, Doug Gilbert, Squat Team Member One, Squat Team Member Two, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels, Hakushi, Tatanka, Aldo Montoya, Diesel, Karma, The Ringmaster, Barry Horowitz, Fatu, Isaac Yankum DDS, Marty Ginetti, The British Bulldog, and Duke Jumpster Drosty. The Undertaker defeated Bret Hart by disqualification for the WWF Championship. That will do that. Chris, what do you think of this show? One of the better rumbles. Um, I, I enjoyed sort of most of the sort of pre-match or the pre-rumble match matches. Um, like the title match, and you know it, the rumble itself was was fairly good. Why? I thought it was a mixed bag in all honesty. I thought there was a couple of all right matches. I wouldn't say they were great. I wasn't overly impressed with the with the rumble, um, and I thought the title match was was a complete dud in, in my eyes. Um, but you know, the, the rumble being a rumble, it's it's always good to watch just to watch guys getting thrown out. But apart from that, it, it wasn't one of the one of the best pay per views I've ever watched. Yeah, this is a. For me, it's a 6 out of 10 show with a lot of 6 out of 10 matches. Um, if you've got three hours and you enjoy Royal Rumbles, I'd probably say watch it. And yet equally, I think you could justify skipping this entire show. Uh, it's one of those things where stuff happens, but the match finishes don't help. The Rumble match is okay, but it kind of fizzles out. Um, and the main event... Wasn't all that good. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll come to each match uh, as we get to it. We actually start on the uh, on, on the free for all. Way mentioned Drewsy against Hunter Hurselsley. That match actually happened on the free for all before the uh, event itself. Uh, the concept of that match was um, the winner of the match would go in at number thirty, and the loser would go in at number one. Anyway, we open up uh, backstage in the interview with Vader, who's been joined by Jim Cornette. We get a really good spit-laden Vader promo. He's here to become the next WWF champion. Todd Pettengill is joined by Jake Roberts. He says if people think his snake is big, it's nothing compared to the demons he's had to face. And we open up, it's Hunter Hurst Helmsley versus Duke the Dumpster Druzy. Druzy ducks under a clothesline and flips Hunter over before going for a ten punch. Hunter hits an atomic drop for a running into a big boot. Druzy charges into the corner, but his shoulder collides with the ring post. Hunter drives Druzy's shoulder into the mat twice. The crowd start a polite Duke, Duke, Duke chant with Druzy in an arm submission. Hunter hits him with a running knee. Hunter comes off the top, but takes a big boot to the mouth. Hunter takes a big back body drop and then a hip toss. Druzy hits a big power slam. The crowd finally wake up. Druzy shouts that it's time to take out the trash. Helmsy slides out of a move, but Druzy hits a belly to back for just screaming at Hunter. Druzy hits the ref. Helmsy levels Druzy with some knuckles and wins the match. After the match, out comes Gorilla Monsoon, who tells referee Tim White what happened. We then go to the video wall to review the decision, and Hunter ends up getting disqualified, and the decision is overturned. Duke, the dumpster Druzy, will be number 30. Wayne. I think to trying to sell a pay-per-view, uh, you know, I, I, th- I thought they could have put a, um, 
uh, a better match on. Um, not these two, but the WWF as a whole could have could have booked a better match. But for what it was, it, it, you know, it was it was okay. Um, I think it served a purpose in storyline more than anything else in regards of the premise of um, you know the winner getting number thirty, which I think is a great idea. Um, but again, you know, the the, the match is, is is there to to sell a pay per view and to to watch this and and then go off the back and, and want to buy the pay per view. I'd, I'd, I'd you know be more inclined to to keep my money in in, in my pocket. Um, but um, yeah, I mean that, that that was it. It was just you know bit of a bit of a screwy finish at the end, which I'm I'm sure we'll come on to again at some point during the uh, during the pay per view. But uh, the the other thing as well is obviously where they've rolled you know. The, the Drossi from I've not seen him for for so long, and and then to come out and, and make an appearance, you know, at, at the Royal Rumble was was just a bit was just a bit weird. Chris, I enjoyed the match, you know, as a sort of free match for pre pre the main event. I thought it was quite a good little match. Um, I liked how the the fact of the finish, with you know the fact that Hunter cheated, um, the video wall thing was a bit strange obviously to bring out the third official sort of thing and let's review the tape it's not you know cricket but you know it worked and the fact that it means that hunter is going in for longer pleases me you know so you think you know he's going to have a decent run of the rumble and i'd rather see him have a decent run in it than duke the dr drosy um where to start with this one Uh, the match was okay um yeah, they, they've got plans for Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but he's still a bit early in the cycle yet where the crowd aren't particularly reacting to him. Um, Wayne, you're right. Duke the Dumpster Druzy has kind of fallen off the radar for about, about six months. Not that he was ever really particularly a big deal before. Um, and I, I tried to kind of convey in my notes that the crowd were, I think a polite chant of Duke, Duke, Duke was probably about the best they could muster. Um, and I, Chris, it just felt a really not like I, I kind of like the concept. Uh, you know, it's it's a match that has value, and there aren't many matches on TV that that have genuine value and genuine consequences beyond you know the occasional title match. But why, or, yeah, why these two guys? They don't really explain that. And from a booking standpoint, why Duke Drewsy? I've no idea. Sorry, Bob. They, they, oh, well, they, did, they did actually explain it. Sorry, just to uh, come in. They both drew blanks, and the blanks mean that they got this match. Okay. All right, that explains the first bit. I I, I, I missed that. Um, Wayne, go on. You're, you're, you're on the call. What, what about the decision to have Duke draw a blank? Well, that I don't get that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, like you said, we've not seen him for, for so long. Yeah, they've they've got obvious plans for um for for Hunter, so you know that that explains why you put him on here and you know storyline purposes you'd, you'd get him to to go number one and, and like Chris you know said we're, we're going to get to see him longer in the rumble which which is great but um I think it would have served more of a purpose if we would have got someone in there who was um uh, who would have had a better match with uh, with Hunter uh, as example and and someone that the the crowd could invest in winning. By winning the overall thing by getting number thirty, so uh, yeah, I, I, I don't understand why why he was was involved in it at all. Maybe it's something to do with I don't know Hunter Hurst Helmsley and and a, a rich man against a poor man like a bin man or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Also, that I'd be telegraphing my number thirty. I think maybe like the number one, and then like 
in the final three or four, maybe. So there's at least a little bit of suspense. Um, I think you could tell when number 29 came out, and it's like, oh, okay, it's Duke Jersey number 30. Yeah. The crowd yeah. kind of settles in. Um, and Chris, also the, the, the bizarre thing with the, the video decision, I mean, Hunter does a promo afterwards and kind of says, what the hell is this all about? We never do this before, which is a perfectly valid point, even though he did try and use heel tactics. It is, you know, it's not like we get these decisions like that very often. And then the fact you get onto the main show itself and there's about three disputable finishes and Gorilla Monsoon is nowhere to be found. Yeah, there there is a massive thing of inconsistency. Um, it's, if they'd have done this for the whole night, had the the video ref have Gorilla come back with the no no this is what I've seen it could be a new thing that they go forward with and do the fact that they drop it after the first match is always a bit worrying um, but going back to what you said about having Dick Drosty in there they could have quite easily put in an Owen a Hakushi a 1-2-3 kid or something like that in the opener and sort of had a bit of a bigger name and you'd have probably got a better match out of it. But do you want them doing double duty? Yeah. I think where Hakushi's concerned. I mean, I agree, you need to find a baby face. And as we're going to discuss later on, a lot of their baby faces are tied up in other things. And I don't think I'd be doing Hunter Hurst and Shawn Michaels in this spot either. Um, but you know, there's, that there are better, I think there are, you would hope, you would, you know, I mean, we, we had Bob Holly and Hunter Hurst Elmsley about six months ago, I want to say, five or six months ago. That was half decent match. Um, that's the kind of thing you could have done here. The match was alright. Um, I don't know how we've done about eight minutes on this, so I think we'll just move on. Um, where are we next? Here we go. Uh, Shawn Michaels comes out. This is kind of long, long gone after the match. He's giving it large. He says he's coming in when he wants and he's leaving when he wants. He says the fans gave to him what, when he needed it. So as far as he's concerned, the heartbreak clear, kid and his click, the fans have a destiny to fulfill at the Royal Rumble. We get an interview backstage with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He's quite rightly saying the instant replay rule is not a thing of the WWF. He says he's going to stick it in the face of Gorilla Monsoon when he wins the Royal Rumble. And we move on to the pay-per-view itself. We open up with quite a sight of Sonny in a bath. Uh, she says viewer indiscretion is advised. Vince McMahon is on the call with Mr. Perfect and we open up with Jeff Jarrett versus Ahmed Johnson. Johnson come, uh, Jarrett rather comes out carrying a guitar. We come flying out the blocks. Johnson fires Jarrett off the ropes, but Jarrett slinks into the outside. Jarrett wants to hip toss Johnson, who blocks it before hitting one of his own. Jarrett shouts, I'm going to give him a wrestling lesson. Johnson levels him with a clothesline and a shoulder tackle. Johnson does a lovely slam with a howl, but does seem to land hard on his knees. Jarrett ducks under a Johnson tackle, who gets his hands stuck in the ropes. Jarrett takes advantage. Jarrett flings Johnson into the ring steps. Jarrett does a quartet of double axe handles from each of the four corners. On the fourth time, Johnson catches him and then flattens him with the right arm. Johnson knocks Jarrett to the outside, then hits a lovely tope. Johnson then goes for a somersault dive from the top, but Jarrett moves for locking in the figure four leg lock. Johnson escapes, but Jarrett is in control. Jarrett then comes off the top rope with his guitar and just drops it over Johnson's head. The guitar breaks cleanly and Jarrett is disqualified. Johnson briefly sells the attack before charging up the aisleway. Chris... Ahmed Johnson is a beast. It's the one thing I ever put come out of this. It was just like absolutely monstrous. And I quite like the fact of how he sold the the guitar shot with, yeah, it put him down, but he got up and went straight after Jarrett. Um, 
you know, it, it shows that he is this raging beast of a man that will throw people around for fun. Why? Yeah, he's a beast, but I don't think he's ready for the role that he's in because it seems that, you know, they're giving him some kind of push. And I really don't think he's, he's ready for it. I think he struggles with the basics. I think he's still really, really green. Um, you know, his movement and, and move set just don't look small, smooth at all. Um, you know, by no way should he be doing the moves that he was doing in there. Like the somersault off the top rope was ridiculous. If, if he would have actually hit Jeff Jarrett with that, then I would have not liked to have been Jeff Jarrett because that was frightening. Um, just simple things like running the ropes and the spine buster. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, the part where he got his hand caught in, in the ropes, I, you know, I don't even think that was, was meant to happen. I think that was just him not, you know, no ring awareness, not knowing what's going on. Um, and, and, and other simple things like, you know, he was, he, he, maybe blame Jarrett for this one. He was, he was holding his knee and, and selling his knee and then Jarrett starts a, attacking the other knee. Um, that's, Obviously, you know, the rant over about Ahmed Johnson. But uh, the match itself, you know, I did. there was a lot going on. You know, it wasn't slow-paced. You know, there was always something happening there, which if it's going to be, you know, a, a, a rubbish match, which you'd probably say this was, um, you, you want stuff to be happening all the time, you know. Um, you know, and, and you can't say that that wasn't happening. Jarrett was, was either getting beat down or, or trying to run away. And then obviously the, the guitar shot at the end. Yeah, um, I, I would agree on a lot of the sentiments on Johnson. He is a very powerful guy. He is clearly instructed to kind of try and convey this powerhouse type wrestler. Um, and some of the stuff he does is looks very good. The problem is, is that he is pushing the line so far of trying to look destructive. He is ludicrously uncoordinated. Um, that move where he lands on his knees where he's got no reason at all, kind of slams Jarrett and, you know, just can't land himself correctly. Um, it's a dangerous style. I completely agree that there doesn't seem to be a lot of transition. He's a bit like the giant at the moment in that sense in that he's got the basics down, but the when it comes to putting together four or five moves into a string and a sequence that makes sense, he just doesn't have it yet. Um, that being said, he's quite watchable. Um, of all the guy, of all the baby faces they're pushing, I think he's, I think he's the kind of guy that's going to be quite easy to get behind, just because, uh, as you guys kind of alluded to, he's just, you know, a, a no shit baby face, which is quite nice in that, um, very easy to get behind. But yeah, the match is all right. I, it's one of those things. Like if you, if you're in the business of having to protect Jeff Jarrett, I, I don't know why you do the match. Um. You know, we, we discussed the Jarrett thing before when, you know, when he left about six or seven months ago and kind of one of the, one of the considerations over Jarrett's, you know, allegedly leaving was that he wasn't happy with how his character was being portrayed. Um, I don't know necessarily that he returned for this or even why, why he returned, I suppose, but I don't know if this helps either of them. Um, uh, it's the kind of match where if you're, if you're interested enough in protecting Jarrett, don't put him in the match. Put Johnson against somebody else and put Jarrett against somebody else or just put one of them in the rumble. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Um, as I say, six, six out of ten match, it was, it was alright. Uh, anyway, 
does an interview with Todd Pattengill. He calls Vader unproven, which is, well, some statement. It doesn't look like Vader time to me. It looks like Big Daddy call time. Next up, it's the Body Donners, Skip and Zip, with Sonny versus the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart for the tag titles. Dr. Tom Pritchard, who is Zip, uh, looks quite a bit different since we saw him in ECW last month. He's got short, bleach blonde hair. And if you look very, very closely, you might notice that the camera is focusing in on Sonny. But only if you look really hard. They, they, they don't overdo that at all. Anyway. Only once or twice. Only once or twice, yeah. Yeah, you know, quickly, quick, quick cuts. Um, Skip hits a nice head scissors takedown on Billy. Billy responds with a back body drop, but Skip sends him to the outside. Bart also gets sent out. The Donners team up on Billy, but Bart sends them to the outside and Billy does a big dive onto the pair of them. The Guns team up on Skip in their corner. Zip, Zip's attempts to salvage the situation don't work either. Sonny starts shaking her ass at the fans. She's grabbing the attention of Bart. Zip does a couple of chops on Bart to little effect. Bart press slams him. Skip gets a blind tag and it's a nice quick clothesline. Billy gets a blind tag and the Guns hit a lovely double team slam. Sonny distracts the referee on the apron, but Billy knocks her off as he comes off the ropes. The fans react negatively to that, and Billy goes to the outside to tend to her. Billy pushes his luck a bit, and the Donners start attacking him. Skip hits a nice dive to the outside onto Billy. Skip suplexes Zip onto Billy in the ring for a two. Zip then hits a gut-rich powerbomb on Skip, who lands on Billy. Billy rallies in a chin lock but cannot get to Bart. The Dons hit a lovely double team flapjack for a two. Skip then crashes into Zip, then crashes into Skip while running the ropes. Billy runs the gauntlet and gets to his tag team partner Bart. Billy hits a body slam, goes to the top, hits a double team leg drop, but Sonny has the ref distracted. Skip jumps off the top, turns the pin over, but Bart manages to kick out. The body runners then set up for a double suplex, but he nails one of them with a spear. Bart pins the other and the guns retain. Wayne. Yeah, I actually enjoyed this match. Um, Rumble aside, I'd probably say it was uh, match of the night as well. You know, I thought it was a really nice opening from from Billy and Skip. Um, I liked the, um, the the move from from Bart where he did the slingshot on the uh, on the body donors to the outside, and then Billy uh, flying straight over the rope. Um, I thought that was pretty neat. And um, the, the the match itself, I thought there was some you know some really good uh, you know double tag moves from um, you know from both teams, and um, you know Sonny earning a crust on the outside whether um whether she's uh, obviously you know trying to flirt with um with, with obviously the smoking guns you know doing necessary distractions or whether it was the uh, you know the double cross with, uh, with with billy you know i thought it was uh, it, you know it was it was all necessary and 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 you know needed in in that sense and um yeah i think it was i think it was the right move to Keep the um, you know keep the titles on 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 the guns and but you know the body donors them, themselves I, th- I think are you know quite a quite a good pairing and, and definitely has potential. I mean they will only and you know really should only be uh, you know be a mid card um, tag team. But you know that goofy mid card tag team is uh, you know quite funny. I like the spot where uh, where they bumped into each other and uh, you know things like that during matches is uh, you know something that will probably put a smile on my face. Yeah, I mean you know to a point. Yeah, the entire tag team thing is mid-card. You know, the, the smoking guns are mid-card. Um, they don't really have any other challenges, to be fair. I, I don't think, I think they're a mid-card tag team match. I think they're just... Wait, sorry, when I, when, I, when I say mid-card, I mean, you know, they'll probably not hold the titles. They'll probably not have a long run for the titles. They'll probably never really chase the titles. They're just going to be in there for, you know, for matches to, you know, put, put smiles on faces. Well, it's funny why you just said that, Chris, but I thought the Bonnie Dons were going to win this. I have to admit, I was struggling with this match, because 
I, I was more interested in what Sonny was doing because that's clearly where they were trying to make us go with the the TV direction of this match. It was it was much more interested in, in what Sonny was doing on the outside. <clears throat> I quite like the Body Donners as a tag team. Um, as we were saying last year with the end of year awards, that um, tag teams in WWF and WCW were really struggling. So to see them go straight into January and start giving us some new tag teams to work with teams we already have is always a good idea. Um, between these four all together seem to have a really good chemistry. I liked how Sonny was getting played, used in the match. And I did actually think that Sonny was going to be cause enough of a distraction for the body donors to get the win. You know, especially when she did that bit when they knocked her off the edge of the apron and they went out and Billy went out to help her up. I was expecting the body donors to get the quick cheap win there and then her to do the whole jump up. Yeah, fine. And go out with the titles. So I'm, the future's looking bright for the tag team division if we're in the January and we're already getting new teams. Well, we've got two. I mean, you know, let's not. Let's not you know, throw, throw our was. drinks. Yeah, you know, sort of throw our drinks in the air and start celebrating. You know, we're we're, we're a bit of a way off being finished. Um, Chris, why is Sonny hanging out with two losers like the Body Donners? Who knows? I've no um, idea. Maybe they'll explain it on TV at some point on why she's with Skip and Zip because I don't think since these two, well, because obviously she came in with Skip initially, um, but. They've not really explained why she's with them. What is just a cheerleader and he's a gym monkey? Why they're together, I don't know. It, maybe because... Well, I think they explain it on the way in correctly, on the base they were here to, you know, show people, flaunt their bodies and, you know, rub it in the faces of the fat people who are watching at home. But it's like, he's a loser and she's, you know, a 10. Why is... Why isn't she working with a better act? I, I think I don't think it makes sense from a kayfabe perspective. I don't think it makes sense out of kayfabe. It just I, I, I don't know. Weigh in anything on that? No, I don't. I probably agree with you. As I said, you know they're quite goofy, and you probably expect more from her. Um, but you know if she's going to be some kind of you know manager, it's probably going to be a tag team, and we're probably going to need more tag teams out there for uh, for, for her to start managing. Yeah, I, 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 go on, Chris. Sorry. The only thing I can think of is if only we had a heel, Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Uh, it doesn't work out while he's a babyface, but yeah, that that would be the... And the other option is if, if Diesel is going to turn, he's still really a babyface at the moment, although his reactions are a little bit mixed. Um, I don't know how Sonny and Paul Bearer would interact, but I kind of would like to see it. But yeah, mm. I, I think I think Diesel might be a decent pairing as well if Diesel is going to move that way, uh, which he probably should. Um, but yeah, she she is a up mid card to lower main event level manager, and these two are a mid card tag team, and they look like a mid card tag team. Um, that being said, this this match was this match was okay. I mean, I, I think we've got to give credit to um, to Skip and to you know Pritchard for being able to team together so quickly and look like they've been doing it for a while. Okay, part of that is the look and part of that is Pritchard, you know, lopping off his hair and, and dying at Breach Blonde. He looks ridiculous, actually. Um, but in terms of their, their their tag team act, it was very, very effective. They were doing some good moves. They had some good timing and some good chemistry, which you don't necessarily have to expect from a team that's just been put together. Um, but it's just a problem that there's, that, you know, 
the guns are the best tag team they've got and I don't think people really care about the smoking guns enough just because I don't think there's enough tag teams for them to stand out it's hard for you know when you consider okay they had a tag match um oh yeah we had the raw bolt being in january and we had you know sid and the kid involved in that as well uh, owen hart and yokozuna but owen hart and yokozuna is a tag team that's kind of flaking out um and you know they're they're, they're beginning them their break up as well they've done that this month uh sid has just kind of disappeared um i think he's injured so yeah like it's not much of a tag team division and therefore people just don't really care um and it, it but the match is okay if, if you like tag team wrestling you like this match it just isn't anything to write home about. We then get a rerun of the Billionaire Ted segment, or one of them anyway. Uh, Goldust comes out, accompanied by a woman who is smoking a cigar. This ends up, uh, this is actually his real life wife, uh, who on Monday Night Raw the following night gets uh, christened as Marlena. Um, she isn't named at this point anyway. Uh, this entrance takes forever. Razor Ramon comes out and gets a lot of pyro. Goldust gets on his knees, crouched in the corner. And it's Goldust with Marlena versus Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title. Razor flicks his toothpick at Goldust. Razor starts working the arm. Razor goes for a waist lock. Goldust reverses it and then rubs his hands up Razor's chest, which pops a reaction. The crowd rally behind Razor. Goldust breaks a count in the corner before rubbing his hand over Razor's face. Once again, Razor reacts. Goldust escapes an arm lock before leathering Razor with the right hand. Razor does a takedown, then just starts slapping you on the back of the head. Goldust returns to his feet, and Razor hits two hard slaps on him. Goldust retreats to the outside, then uses Marlena at ringside as a human shield. We get some quick takedown exchange for Razor nails the right hand. Goldust blows him a kiss. Goldust puts on the brakes after being flung into the ropes. Razor hits him hard with a clothesline to the outside. Goldust uses Marlena as a shield again. Razor picks her up in, uh, out of harm's way, but Goldust runs him over before driving him into the apron. The crowd rally behind him. Goldust fires Razor off of three turnbuckles before hitting a running bulldog. He then bounces Razor off of the top rope into a belly-to-back suplex. The valet blows some gold dust, in this case glitter, into Razor's eyes. Goldust slams his head into the canvas while hitting a swinging neckbreaker. Goldust applies a long sleeper. Razor eventually gets to his feet, backs the ref into the corner, and then kicks Goldust in the bollocks. Razor blocks a right, hits three of his own, forking a lovely one-handed slam for a two. He then hits a fallaway slam for another near fall. Razor crotches Goldust on the top, hits a belly to back from the second rope. Marlena gets in the ring, distracts the ref. The one two three kid jumps off the top rope, hits a spin kick. Goldust pins Razor and wins the Intercontinental title. Chris, where was Gorilla Monsoon? Exactly what I was going to sort of wonder with, you know, if he's doing video analysis... For the opener, where is it now? Because this is a championship match. This isn't a throwaway match. This isn't a, anything of that. It's a championship match. It changed hands thanks to interference off of a distraction. And Gorilla Monsoon was... Who knows? Go on, Chris. What, what are your thoughts on this match? I really, really like this match. Um, I mean, these two have got a really good chemistry together. Um the, the styles they both work mesh really well together and I'm hoping to see more of these two together but we know that we're probably not with uh, the fact that 123Kid got himself involved that obviously Razor will be feuding with him more than he will with Goldust um, but I would definitely want to see these two go at it again Wayne 
I've probably got to disagree with Chris on this one because I didn't enjoy this at all. Um, I was at the start. I was the you know expecting Razor had come out all guns blazing, looking to kill um, Goldust, and it just you know just seemed quite slow paced in in that sense. I think I probably didn't enjoy this match as as I thought I was going to do because knowing Razor what he's like and the matches he's had in the past and and what Dustin Runnels is like, you know, it's uh, I, I was expecting that it would be a match that I'd probably sit there and um, you know avidly watch and, and enjoy, but you know probably it's more the character of Goldust and and what he's about um, and and that's probably why he's not he's not wrestling you know how, how, how I thought he probably would do um, you know it's uh, probably in, in in you know that sense all, all over the character and and that's probably the reason why you know I didn't enjoy the match as as, as much as I thought I was but yeah another another screwy finish um, I think that's three out of the four matches that we've had now where they've they've ended in either false uh, sorry a, a, a switch over on the decision or or a disqualification so uh, I think you know WWF are, are starting to turn into WCW more than what they anticipated uh, I've got one more to come um, <laughs> yeah this this is one of those matches that told a better story than than the actual action suggested. The action was a bit too... Lumpy is the wrong word. I don't know where I came with that from. It's a bit too... It's not a particularly match that flows very well. It's not a match that particularly tells a, a coherent in-ring story from a move-to-move standpoint. Um, that being said, I thought if you actually look at the story they were telling, uh, I think they did quite a good job uh, from Goldust finally finding a way, and there have been complaints about his in-ring mannerisms at house shows people have been complaining about him kind of feeling himself up almost things like that so there is a line that you've got to watch um but one of my criticisms of him a few months ago was you come in with this really wacky out there character and then you get in the ring and you're wrestling like dustin Rhodes. um he wasn't doing that here certainly not in a way that i think anyone would notice um, and I like the fact that one, he was doing all of these quite outlandish things, you know, including putting his, his female manager in harm's way, which is an incredibly heel thing to do. But I also like the fact that it clearly was getting the Razor. That was the kind of fun part of the story was that Razor was struggling with his emotions. The one point where he kind of traps the referee in the corner inadvertently almost and takes advantage by, you know, doing the kind of the reverse kick to, um, to Goldust groin that was really effective so yeah um I don't know about the finish I don't know about the title change I guess I guess we'll at least say it makes sense in that they want to try and get Goldust over as a character him having the championship it's gold kind of makes a bit of sense um and they want to pivot into this one two three kid razor Ramon feud that will never seem to end um it makes sense yes we've got the thing with Gorilla Monsoon uh yeah I don't think we still needs to be said um but Chris your, your, your thoughts on kind of this evolution of gold dust I'm intrigued if nothing else I, as you said, um, when he first came in, he was very much Dustin in a gold suit. Whereas now he's very much changed his mannerisms, changed his wrestling style a lot. Uh, there is a bit more of the touchy feely in there. I, I think that the way that he's doing this and the way that he's sort of giving himself over to the character more than sort of just trying to be him as he was, 
will benefit him in the long run because obviously it shows that he's got more to him. And if they do want to drop the gold dust character at some point and bring him back out as Dustin, he can wrestle a completely different style and sort of it shows the two sides of what he can do. I think if they were really like unbelievably clever, why not have him play them both at the same time? That'd be that'd be fun. If if he was Dustin Rhodes and Gold Dust, like split personality or something like that. I mean, don't get me wrong, they are they are struggling to st- tell the most basic coherent stories. So this would be far beyond anything they're doing at the moment. That'd be a hell of a lot of fun. I think he could pull it off, but but equally I don't think that Vince McMahon wants to put a Rhodes on television. So there's that. What are your thoughts on Gold Dust? Uh, no, I mean yeah, the the characters um it seems to just be going one step further uh, each uh, each week slash slash month with his uh, with his character development. So I'm I'm enjoying the uh, the evolution of his character and seeing where it's going. Dr. Jeff Unger says Shawn Michaels is 100% ready. We then get comments from various competitors ahead of the Rumble match. What I'll do with the Rumble, I'll, I'll wrap through the competitors. I'll split it into kind of quarters, so I'll save my voice a little bit. I mean, it's only reading for about five minutes, and then we'll, we'll we'll cut to opinions throughout the match. And it's the 1996 Royal Rumble. The entrants are in order. Hunter Hearst, Helsley, Henry O'Godwin, Bob Backlund, Jerry the King Lawler, Bob Holly, King Mabel, Jake the Snake Roberts, Story Funk Jr., Yokozuna, the 1-2-3 Kid, Taco Imori, Savio Vega, Vader, D- Doug Gilbert, squat team member number one, squat team member number two, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels, Hakushi, Tatanka, Aldo Montoya, Diesel, Karma, The Ringmaster, Barry Horowitz, Fatu, Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS, Martin Ginetti, The British Bulldog, and at number 30, Duke the Dumpster, Druzy. So I will find my way back to the top of my notes. And we start with Hunter Hurst we know, coming out at number one. Out at number two, it's Henry O. Godwin. They get to work straight away. Hunter unloads on him in the corner. Godwin levels in with a right hand and a big back body drop. Out at number three is Bob Backlund. Backlund actually saves Helmsley from elimination by going after Godwin. That alliance is short-lived as Backlund goes after Hunter next. Jerry the King Law is out at number four. King comes out and starts trying to work some order. The crowd chant Burger King it in. King grabs Godwin's slop, but Godwin gets it off him, and all three men dive through the mo- ropes in an incredibly well choreographed move uh, to the outside. Godwin launches the slop to the outside, and it covers Lawler, but also some members of the crowd. Number five is Bob Holly, number six is King Mabel, and number seven is Jake the Snake Roberts, who is no surprising accompanied by a snake. The snake is absolutely huge. The ring empties again. Uh, the snake gets dumped on Lawler before quite brilliantly right on cue returning to his bag. And number eight is Dory Funk Jr. Vincent Mann turns up as the former NWA champion. He says Terry Funk was invited to the Rumble too, but he's watching from Germany. Dory Funk looks every bit the 54 years old he is. Still no eliminations at this stage, although Lawler has disappeared from viewing, selling the stake attack. The crowd are chanting DDT, DDT, and Lawler is under the ring. Uh, Chris, eight men in, what are your thoughts so far? I like the fact... Um that they did the spot with Jake bringing out that absolutely massive snake. Because if I'd have seen the snake that size, I think I'd have run too. That was a big boy. Um, I like the fact that King seems to have decided he's going to run away and is hiding under the ring. And it, it's been a sort of fairly steady start. The sort of slop moment being the big high point in the first sort of ten people... Wouldn't want to be in the front row, though. No. No. Wayne, th- thoughts on the opening eight? Yeah, so, so, same as what Chris says, really. It's, uh, 
it was probably more of a spot fest than anything else. The one with uh, with with Jay the Snake and and yeah, just to carry on saying what you guys are saying, that snake was massive. It probably had about fifteen Damians. It was that big. It was just humongous. I couldn't get over how uh, the size of it. Um, and then yeah, obviously with the um, with, with, with the slop as well. It was. It just seemed it was more um, you know spot fest than anything. And um, yeah, no complaints so far. Yeah. Um... I, I, I will comment on the end about the star power lack thereof, um, and you know it, it did. I think they did well to get enough. In terms of the first eight guys, I thought oh, we, we, we've you know Bob Holly was probably the low point, but in terms of getting you know Backland, Hunter Hearst, Helmsley, Lawler, Mabel, Jake Roberts, Dory Funk, you know you're thinking. Well, there's more. That there is more name power here than I would say if you if you took an average if you pulled an average eight guys on the roster. I would say there's more name power here. As we kind of find out, they do blow their load a little bit early as the match goes on. Anyway, out at number nine, it's Yokozuna. He eliminates Bob Backlund. He then goes after Mabel because we need to see that face off again. Mabel squashes Yokozuna and Godwin in the corner. That's a hell of a lot of mass. The crowd chant DDT again, and Mabel does a splash on Godwin. The one, two, three kid is out at number ten. He's chased down the aisle by Razor Ramon. They run around the ring. Referees and officials hold Razor back. The crowd rally behind the bad guy, and Funk does an airplane spin on the kid in the ring. Number eleven is Takao Imori from All Japan. Uh, your guess is as good as mine on that one. This man doesn't really give any bill. They haven't really built him on television. Uh, Robert Roberts unloads on Yokozuna even before flooring him for the third time. Savio Vega is out at number 13 he levels Mabel with a spinning back kick Yokozuna eliminates Mabel Jake Roberts eliminates Amori out at number 13 is Vader Savio Vega eliminates Dory Funk Vader then starts levering Vega number 14 is Doug Gilbert from the USWA again another guy just came in on, on no real kind of build uh, Roberts uh, DDT Savio which gets a big pop Vader then levels levels him with the right and Roberts gets eliminated at number 15 is squad team member number 1 Vader hits a big choke slam on Gilbert he then eliminates him and then eliminates squad team member 1 uh, Wayne 15 men in uh, quick thoughts at this stage um, who the hell is squad team member um, that, that was my initial thought, but uh, seeing Vader in the going going heavy on uh, on, on uh, Savio Vega was uh, was was quite nice to see, and Razor chasing after one two three kid. That's what he should have been like uh, with Goldust right at the start of that match. There's just my initial thoughts. Yeah, uh, well I remember uh, interesting little tidbit. This is Razor Ramon's kind of fourth. Raw Rumble pay-per-view never appeared in the Rumble uh, while well, I remember he's been in title matches every year Chris I love Vader just seeing because obviously we've seen lots of him for WCW stuff just seeing him coming down just battering people you know it, it pleases me and there's enough fodder in this ring at the minute to take some whippings and the the way that Jake went out of the ring after that punch was glorious yeah, not much more to add, but it's great to see Vader. Uh, out at number 16 is squat team member number two. Uh, they, they have number one walking back, number two walking out, and then number one spins around, and they both meet on the ramp, and they, because uh, it gets a bit confusing because they're twins, they both try and get in the ring, they struggle. Uh, Vader fights them both off anyway. Vader eliminates one, Yokozuna eliminates the other, and we've got, they, we've got Vader, Helmsley, Yokozuna, Holly, Vega, and the kid in the ring, and Lawler, we think, still underneath the ring. Those are the guys still in the match 
match at this stage. Number 17 is Owen Hart. Vader whips Yokozuna into Savio in the corner before crushing Vega there himself. Number 18 is Shawn Michaels. Vader eliminates Savio Vega. So I don't have to keep saying those names back to back again. Uh, Vader and Yokozuna exchange slaps. Vader takes his mask off, which gets the pop. Cornette cannot bear two of his guys going at it. The two get by the ropes. Sean takes a run up and eliminates them both, which gets a huge pop from the crowd. Sean then eliminates the kid. We're down to Sean, Hunter, Owen, Holly and Lawler, who's still underneath the ring. Number 19, it's Hakushi. Vader levels Yokozuna on the outside before climbing back in the ring and going after Shawn Michaels. Vader then throws Michaels over the top, but they're saying he's not been eliminated as Vader is no longer in the match. Vader then throws Helms in, Owen out too. Gorilla Monsoon gets in the ring, but he's here now, uh, and orders Vader to the back. Refs and Cornette try and calm him down. Vader eventually walks off. Number 20 is Tatanka. Michael sends Cornette to the outside. Hakushi hits a lovely springboard back elbow to Owen. Hakushi almost eliminates Michaels, who ends up clinging on. Number 21 is Aldo Montoya. Michaels gets knocked through the ropes. He goes looking for Lawler under the ring, and he pulls him out. Lawler gets dragged out, but pulls a load of cable spools with him. Montoya and Lawler get eliminated. Number 22 is Diesel. Probably gets the second biggest pop of the uh, the Rumble match. Diesel eliminates the tanker straight away. Diesel and Michaels bump into each other. Diesel levels him with the right, and Sean returns the favour. Chris? First thing I have to say is, how the hell did Sean Michaels manage to put out both Vader and Yoko at the same time. Well, Vader is at least top-heavy. I can imagine if you got underneath Vader, given his height and, 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 and weight distribution in proximity to the ropes, it wouldn't be that difficult. Um, but yeah, Yokozuna, I guess you have to rely on Vader you know, collapsing the ropes so far that he fell over with him. But yeah, it was it was an impressive spot, uh, and fair play to all involved, because it, it, it didn't look unrealistic. No, and obviously... Monsoon coming in and berating Vader will play out later in the month, but it, it's a good little bit of story to start with. And with who's left in with your Owens, Hunter, Sean, you know, it's it's a good few sort of workers in there that looks like they could actually sort of pull the back of this, the back end of the rumble through. Wayne, are we at the point now where we were kind of like last year where? They've involved a lot of their big names in angles, but it's to the overall detriment of the names that are left. They've kind of used, they've used up too much of their star power too early on. Is that something you'd agree with? Well, in, in the actual Rumble itself? Yeah, like we, we've had yeah. Vega and, uh, Vader and kind of Yokozuna gone. We've, we've lost Jake Roberts. We've lost Backland. A lot of the name power in the early goings of the match have gone and there isn't enough to replace it. No, but like Chris says, I think we've 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 got enough in there now to uh to, to, to work the back end of this rumble and uh and, and, and still make it watchable at the same time. Yeah, and I suppose the other the other counterpoint to all of that is at least with the other big names out we can focus on Diesel and Shawn Michaels so I suppose there is that uh, number 23 is Karma Michaels does a 10 punch on Holly in the corner Karma ducks a Diesel punch and Diesel nails Shawn at number 24 it's the Ringmaster McMahon does mention him by uh, being Steve Austin this time uh, Ringmaster eliminates Bob Holly they're crediting Holly with a surprisingly long run in the match at number 25 is Barry Horowitz Diesel just chucks Helmsley over the top 26 is Fatu Owen picks up Michaels in a suplex position, suplexes him onto the apron, but Michaels drags him over. Neither man is eliminated. 
Number 27 is Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS. Horowitz charges at Owen Hart, who dumps him over. Owen then kicks Michaels, but Michaels eliminates him. Number 28 is Martin Giannetti. Giannetti goes straight after Michaels, and they exchange rights. They both hit each other at the same time and go down. Perfect attempts are bad. They're rocking them joke, which which falls a bit flat. Uh, number 29 is the British Bulldog. Bulldog eliminates Giannetti. Ringmaster and Fatu start exchanging rapid rights. Ringmaster then gets eliminated. Yankum eliminates Fatu, and we're down to Bulldog, Karma, Yankum, Diesel, and Sean. Number 30, of course, is Duke the Dumpster Druzy. The crowd couldn't be any flatter for his introduction. Michaels and Bulldog go through the ropes and ball to the outside. They're both still in it. Owen Hart comes out and starts attacking Sean. Sean drop kicks Yankum over the top, and Karma and Diesel eliminate Druzy. The final four is Diesel, Karma, Sean, and Bulldog. Sean slides under the bulldog and sends him out. Diesel eliminates Karma. Sean then super kicks Diesel over the other side of the ring. And Sean Michaels is the winner of the 1996 Royal Rumble. After the match, Diesel is not happy. Doc Hendricks tries to get a word. Diesel levels bulldog before returning to the ring. Sean shows his ass to the fans. Diesel and Sean face off. Diesel signals for a high five and Sean completes it. Sean high fives fans at ringside, but Diesel looks gutted. Wayne. Um, I thought the the ending was it was just out of nowhere. It was uh, I think from when um, Drusy come in, I think he was must have been about he, he come in at number thirty, and it was probably about a minute and a half, and, and the rumble was over. I just thought it just ended far too too sudden in in my eyes. Um, Sean probably the inevitable winner in uh, in, in all honesty um, with him obviously getting pushed as as, as the first for the uh, for the back end of of ninety five you know we probably knew that this was was going to happen and then go on to to face whoever at the at WrestleMania is uh, is probably the good spot to be in as uh, as a first but the the rumble itself you know like you said they the, the probably went top uh, or should I say bottom heavy with uh, with all the star power at the uh, at the start and then you you know all these names that you know you know probably explains why there was no pops at all for them and you know squat members and and uh, Doug Gilbert for example and and the Taco Amore was it yeah yes. uh, so you know people like that it just just shows how um, you know the lack of depth that they've that they've got in this uh, in, in this roster. Um, I, you know the, the the rumble is you know as much as Sean won it, I think this rumble was just all all Vader. Um, the only negative comment I'd probably have on it is we should have had a lot of guys in the Vader come in and eliminate at least half of the guys that were uh, that that was in the ring, and he, he you know he should have been a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he, he did well in, in Dominic. Yeah, he did clear four people, but I know what you mean. He didn't feel like that at the no. end of the match. And, and, and it, it wasn't four in, in one fell swoop either, was it? It was it was probably one or two, and then a little break, and then another one. If he would have gone in and, and cleared five guys in one go, I thought it would have been uh, you know a lot better in in that. Um, the the Vader and uh, Yoko squaring off and and Cornette going wild at the uh, ringside did make me uh, did make me chuckle and and them going at it. Do I really want to see them work against each other? Probably not. Do I want to see them in a tag team? Yeah, but I probably would do. I think you know they'd be uh, you know a really good uh, really good force in the WWF. And, and like Chris said before, if they, if they're putting more tag teams together, you know I think these guys would be uh, uh, would be a really good tag team. But on the same side, I probably wouldn't want to see Vader in a tag team. Uh, that I'd probably want to I, I I'd want to see him be an absolute monster in the WWF. But you know with him being written out and depending on how his shoulder is, we'd, we'd probably have to wear that up there. 
More of a curiosity, I'd kind of like to see Vader and Yokozuna uh, just once. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, Chris, would you have given Sean and Diesel longer at the end? Possibly. Um, but at the same point, I liked the fact that it was a quick super kick that put him out. Because um, obviously, if for Sean to beat Diesel in in this situation of a rumble, it needed to either be fluky or something sort of using his speed. Because obviously, you think Diesel is the powerhouse of of the two of them. He he would grab him, throw him out. Um, Wayne was saying there earlier with the lack of star power. I yes, at the minute there is a lack of star power, but I think this rumble will build people. Um, Bob Holly had a really good run in the Rumble. Hunter Hurst Helmsley, another really good run in the Rumble. Yeah, 48 um, minutes for him, yeah. Karma looked good. Owen looked good. Bulldog was not in there very long, but sort of looked a promise, sort of, you know, a, a person to pay attention to. You know, I'm thinking this whole new generation as a, as a bubble term. Maybe we need to let they're not be the big names that we already know and they're to be the massive pops to start with and let these guys grow and become the new stars, the new Hogans, the new Macho Mans, you know, the people that have left and grow them from the start. They've all got to start somewhere and maybe we're not getting what we did in the 80s where they come in already a name and then made a bigger name. They've got to start at the bottom and make themselves and I think that was what this Rumble showed, that there are a lot of guys in their roster that, given the right characters, given the right time, given, you know, if they put the effort in, that they could actually do something with a lot of these people. Yeah, undoubtedly a lot of talent. Uh, whether it's all been used correctly is a discussion for another time. Yeah, this wasn't a bad Rumble match. Um in terms of, I, I think, uh, so I'll give them credit for, given the lack of star power they had across the board, they covered for it pretty well. I mean, it, you know, you, you kind of wonder, what was it really worth bringing out a 54-year-old Dory Funk? I don't think it was. I don't know what you were paying him. I probably don't think it was worth it. No disrespect to Dory Funk, although, you know, you're 54, Dory, come on. Um, so if, you can, if, you can, if he can get a paycheck at 54, more power to him, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like, like that didn't mean anything. Um, you know, like Jake Roberts was a really good introduction. He was one of the most over guys in the match. And yeah, as much as I perhaps, you know, don't love the front loading of the talent they did have. It did mean that the back end you had Diesel and Sean as the two standout guys. But I kind of feel like if you'd have built that a bit more, you perhaps could have done a stare down. I don't disagree. What they did was quite good. I just wonder whether if they'd have had a back and forth for a few minutes, whether you really would have whipped the crowd up. But equally, I won't be overly critical of what was a very effective finish with Sean. Uh, anyway. We move on to the main event. It's The Undertaker with Paul Bearer versus Bret Hart for the WWF Championship. As Undertaker is walking out, he meets Diesel halfway up the ramp. Diesel shoves Bearer and Undertaker and him start fighting. Officials try to break them apart. Diesel says, I ain't afraid of the dark. Diesel then gets sent to the back and out comes Brett. Vince says this is Brett's 43rd pay-per-view appearance. Bloody hell. Uh, Brett evades some rights and goes after Undertaker in the corner who looks less than impressed. Take, Taker unleashes some hard strikes of his own. 
Take a lift up Brett for a two-handed choke, then drops into the mat. Take a smothers Brett's face with his hand as a submission, and he's all over him in the early goings. Brett keeps getting his foot on the ropes, but Barra keeps knocking them off. Undertaker walks the top rope before dropping down on Brett. He then locks in a face lock again. Brett finally rallies with a big boot before sending Taker to the outside and hitting a flying crossbody. Brett doesn't let up, hitting Taker with some rights. Taker catches Brett and then drives him back first into the ring post. He tries for a second time, but Brett slides off and rams his head into it. Taker then goes for an Irish whip to Brett in, uh, into the steps, who reverses it. Given that it appeared Taker bore the impact with his knees, that looked especially painful. Back in the ring, Brett has his control for the first time in the match, working over Taker's leg. Taker is struggling. Brett locks in the figure four. There's a small amount of brewing from the crowd, I think. Taker almost gets pinned, just gets his shoulders up in time. Perfect makes the point that Taker's long legs may make him more vulnerable to the hold. Taker then flips it over and Perfect says that that's the advantage of having long legs. Brett locks in another, uh, another leg submission. Taker fights off, but Brett responds by trying to rip the mask off. Brett goes for another long leg submission. Taker rallies by smashing his free leg over Brett's face. Taker is walking gingerly now. Taker grabs an electrical cable and chokes Brett with it. The crowd boo, and Bearer has the ref distracted. Taker then ramps Brett into the ring bell before hitting him with a chair. Despite the noise of the bell, the referee stays distracted. The crowd now can't decide who to cheer or to boo. Brett goes to back, uh, back to working on Taker's leg back in the ring before racking his leg around the ring post. Twice more boos. Taker does a leg drop. Taker goes to the tombstone, but Brett wriggles free. Brett hits the DDT, but only for a two. Undertaker sits up. Brett hits a Russian leg sweep. Undertaker sits up again. Brett hits a backbreaker, then drops an elbow from the second rope. The crowd whips up, but there's a lot of booing in with the cheering. Brett goes to the sharpshooter, but Taker puts a choke on. We then get double clothesline. Brett exposes the turnbuckle. He then rips off the mask off Taker's face. Taker actually looks more scary without it. Vince quite rightly points out that blows to the face will now have more of an impact. Right on cue, Brett rounds Taker's face into the exposed turnbuckle. More booing. Brett runs at Taker, who catches him in a tombstone and hits it. Taker pins Brett, but Diesel comes out, pulls the ref out of the ring. The ref calls for the bell, and it's all over. Brett gets disqualified. Taker wins, but Brett retains. Diesel looks pretty smug and flips the middle finger on the Taker before walking back up the R-way, and Taker follows him out. Chris? The first thing I have to say about this match is... Oh, I know they said it on commentary, but I'm not sure if it really is, but it would surprise me that in the five and a bit years that Undertaker has been in the WWF now, and other than, obviously other than his debut, because obviously he, in the mystery match where he was debuted, he was against the Hart Foundation. I think this really is the only time these two have had a singles match together. On television or pay-per-view. And the clash of styles really worked. To, you know, take his sort of big man, slow, methodical pace, and Brett's working down the leg, because obviously, you know, you take the big man's legs out, melded so well together. I'm, I'm massively surprised that we've not seen these two before and together, but they worked so well. Um, Brett, again, showing that he is an amazing in-ring competitor, Taker matching him Sort of, but obviously in a different way. I quite liked the finish with Diesel sort of coming out and pulling Brett off, or Undertaker off even, but I don't get what comes later on how Diesel then becomes number one contender. Well, Diesel's owed his, his, his title match um, 
from losing it to Brett two months ago. That's where that comes from. Mm. The part part of Diesel's beef with Undertaker is that Undertaker kind of jumped the queue uh, in terms of getting a, a title match because he felt he deserved it. That yeah, would make, that would make sense. Had the last month, didn't he? Yeah, we're, we're basically on a two month time delay when it comes to title rematches. That's 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 kind of where we're at. Undertaker will get one in April probably. He might actually. Uh, Wayne. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I agree with Chris in what he's saying. Obviously, two totally different. Uh, um, st- uh, you know, wrestling styles. Um, but for for that reason, uh, uh, you know, I thought it was quite a quite a dull match. In all honesty, I thought Bret Hart working over the the leg of of, of Undertaker went on for what seemed like forever and a day. Um, and you know, probably the for that reason, the match went on for far too long. Uh, I'm not quite sure if. Obviously, Undertaker, whether he's used to a, a match this long, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, I thought there was, uh, you know, the, it was a bit, a bit weird with the both of them playing playing the heel. Of, of maybe the Undertaker, well, yeah, he was in fact because he obviously got the cables out, didn't he? But obviously, Paul Burr was the one that was messing with the feet on the rope and um, and, and and everything like that. But then Bret Hart to then go and. Do the do do the turnbuckle pad it just seemed out of place. If you know, just let Undertaker play the play the heel role. I'm I'm not quite sure, but uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I did enjoy the spot where Taker kept getting back up after the um, after the Russian leg sweep and, and then the bulldog and and then we had a you know tombstone out of nowhere. But unfortunately, and you know, it's a pay per view. It's probably the second biggest pay per view of the year, and it's another screwy finish at the end um, which in my eyes is, is not acceptable yeah um, this match was 29 minutes I think and it, it felt them um, this wasn't all that good I mean you know it, there was nothing necessarily bad in this match but it was you know one the age old thing and I've had this before where you do a really long match and then you have a drab finish it really blows. Like, you have a drive finish in three or four minutes, like, ah, short and sweet, nothing, nothing to see. To go so long and then not to have a decisive winner. Again, I come back to kind of what I came back to last year's Rumble when we had Diesel against Brett, which is, why didn't Diesel just win? I was kind of sat here going, why didn't Brett just win? Like, you know, I know you've got Diesel Undertaker to build, but you can still do that. Um, and Undertaker strikes as a guy that could bounce back from this match, you know, result fairly smoothly, it's not like you've been doing a great job with Undertaker in this last 18 months, putting him with, admittedly he's at least winning, but he's beating a lot of guys that don't matter, I don't think losing to Bret Hart is a big problem um, the match was a disappointment in the sense that there was just too much submission based work, I would have liked to see these guys stand up a bit more and do a bit more powerhouse action you kind of felt like they both decided we've both got half a dozen moves, we've got half an hour, let's use each move once, or it's like you can be a bit more innovative um but Wayne I guess my biggest problem with this is you know you're both experienced enough guys and yet you're both getting booed like you something's wrong yeah and like I said before I mean maybe Bret Hart then decided to to go with the um you know with the heel roll because because he was getting booed but yeah, like you say, you're two experienced guys. You know they've been there long enough now. Um, you know they, they should have known to, to change it up at some point and, and go down a different different avenue to to get the crowd buying into it. Because yeah, it just seemed like there was uh, like pretty much how I was at home really, and that was oh, is this 
is this still going? Is it is it not over yet? And, and you know, maybe that played some part in it. And Chris, we we've heard a few times before from people like Wade Keller that Undertaker is, you know, supposedly a very talented wrestler. Did we see that in this match? I think we're seeing a lot more of it than Undertaker's traditional sort of match and traditional fodder. Um, go back to when we started this project and we had what Taker versus Giant Gonzalez, Oof. Taker versus Fake Zombie Taker. You know, we we were getting. Taker versus King Kong Bundy even last year it was oh let's put the monster against Taker yeah and getting a terrible match but just having this character whereas putting him in there with a brat you're actually seeing that he can wrestle I I think this is a mass improvement from what we have had from him over the past sort of five years of his career yeah, it, it reminds me more of what he was doing when he was mean Mark in WCW than any of this previous Taker run. Yeah, um, I, I, I think he will only what one you know he will only be able to show what he can do against guys like Brett, e.g., guys that can go with him, and two, he will only improve against guys like Brett, people who can go with him. But yeah, I, I, call me disappointed on this. Um, I, I think. Yeah, I just, I, I actually, this match wasn't that bad, but I'm actually quite critical of the two guys involved, and I feel like you could and should have come up with something far stronger. Um, I think they lost the crowd at one point. I think the fact that the crowd started booing them both at various times suggested something's wrong. Um, and yeah, um, the match wasn't that bad, but I, if I'm Bret Hart and I'm Undertaker, I'm quite disappointed by what we came up with in 29 minutes. Um, not, not easy when you're wrestling to a, to a, a dead end finish. Fair enough. But it's like the match still could have been good for the first 20 odd minutes. I don't think it was. Uh, anyway, that will wrap up our analysis of the Royal Rumble. Wayne, uh, some quick final thoughts and a score running out of 10. Um, wasn't overly impressed with the whole of all pay-per-view, you know, I thought it had you know, a couple of, like I said at the start, you know, a couple of alright matches, but the, the too many DQ finishes for, uh, for for a pay-per-view that people have actually paid for, um, and for that reason I'm, I'm giving it a 4. Chris? I enjoyed it, I brought the the finishes work for the, the way the matches are going and the feuds are going and it's probably the best the best rumble rumble since 92, um, so I've given it 7 out of 10 interesting well I said 6 at the start I think I've actually taught myself having gone through that main event and downgrading it to a 5 um, yeah this is a it's not a bad show it's probably in the top half top third of WWF pay-per-views we've covered which probably says a lot um, the Rumble match was fine I thought they did pretty well with that but the rest of the matches are like, Ugh, you know, and we talk about star power. I, I wonder whether they're all that savvy having, you know, you've got to have other matches on the card. But like, wouldn't Razor Ramon benefit from being in the Rumble? Wouldn't you benefit from that kind of star power and Jeff Jarrett and people like that having some more names in that match? Even if they're wrestling twice, it's not like... Yeah, none of the guys, you know, if you're wrestling on the card, you don't gain an advantage from being in the Rumble, so you might as well be in it if the alternative is not being, even though you are at an inherent disadvantage. I think Razor Rumble would rather be in the match than not. Um, yeah, 5 out of 10 show, I think you could, if you want, you got 3 hours to kill and you want to watch a good show, I would say this isn't a bad show to watch. Equally, if you're thinking, Bob, do I watch this, do I not? 
I'd probably say skip it. Yeah, if you enjoy a Rumble match, you'll get a, get a, a good, fun, decent Rumble. But it's not remarkable, and the rest of the stuff is very forgettable. Ladies and gentlemen, he is headed to WrestleMania! Congratulations on your victory last night. Well, the last thing I want to do is say, I told you so, Vin Man. But, I told you so. HBK is back in the saddle again. A three-step program for the heartbreak kid. The 1996 Royal Rumble, done. WrestleMania, gonna happen. But between now and then, it seems that the click has a little something to handle. And that would be some young man running around the World Wrestling Federation taking credit for putting me out. First of all, there are nine guys in Syracuse, New York that get to take credit for that. And you nine chumps, I'll take care of you in due time. But the other one is you, Owen Hart. Nobody, but nobody talks trash in the World Wrestling Federation except me. Because HBK and his clique are going to their dream, the World Wrestling Federation Championship. But Owen, I gotta take care of you. What is the meaning of this? Are you coming out here to apologize for what Vader did? What? No, I'll tell you, first of all, I've had enough trouble tonight. I didn't come out here to get beat up, okay? I'm just saying to you, you're bandying Owen Hart's name around, and if you want Owen Hart, you got to talk to me because I'm the one signs his contracts, okay? Now, it seems to me like Owen Hart's already proven his point. You can blame whoever you want, but Owen Hart is the one that knocked you out of commission and almost finished you off. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. How did it feel last night when you saw Shawn Michaels dump Yokozuna and Vader over the top rope? Feel last night at the Royal Rumble when Shawn Michaels dumped you over the top rope. Let me tell you something. You can argue all you want, but the point I'm making to you, fella, is I don't want you putting your hands on me or my men anymore. Owen Hart has proved his point. He beat you, and there's no incentive, no reason for him to give you another match. And for now and forevermore, Owen Hart will be known as the guy that knocked the heartbreak kid out of business. Yeah, got nothing that we want to give you another match. Now, if you want, Jim Cornette, I can go back to the back and get my wallet. I'll give you money. I'll give you anything you want. But I'm telling you, I got to have Owen Hart. I'd do anything in the world to get my hands on Owen Hart. Let me tell you something. You don't have enough money. I don't care what you... Make him get down on his knees. Did you say anything? Anything. 
When you maybe got one thing that Owen Hart wants, you won the Royal Rumble, that means you got the title shot at WrestleMania, and you worked for 12 years to get it. So that's your most prized possession. I say, Owen Hart ought to have that shot. So if you want Owen Hart in the ring, you can put that title shot up, and then we'll talk some business. Oh, shut up, don't tell him what Whoa. to do. He did yeah. say anything. Good idea. Now, I realize I said anything, but you better understand something. I have waited 11 long years for the chance that I have given myself. I went through 29 superstars. Hey. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've waited for. You made the statement. If you're a chicken, say you're chicken. If you're a mouse, squeak or put up the shot for Owen Hart. Well, let me ask the click. How bad do we want Owen Hart? Well, if the click wants it, they get it. And you, my friend, have got it. And when I'm done with Owen Hart, I am going to do to him what I am about to do to you. We open Raw on January the 22nd with Jim Corner interrupting Savio Vega's entrance. What time is it? It's Vader time. Vader completes a comprehensive victory over Vega with a Vader bomb. After the match ends, Cornette traps the referee and Vader does another Vader bomb. The ref gets free, but Vader grabs hold of him and hits him with multiple headbutts before throwing him to the outside. Oh, the ref this time gets a power bomb before Gorilla Monsoon comes out. They square off and exchange words. Monsoon gets the ring announcer to say that Vader is indefinitely suspended. Vader shoves Cornette, then squares up to Monsoon again. He says to Cornette, you're supposed to handle this kind of stuff. Vader slaps Monsoon. Monsoon responds with multiple chops. Vader charges at Monsoon in the corner, squashes him with a splash and then drops an elbow. He drags him to the corner, then hits a Vader bomb. Eventually Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon run out and Vader makes his exit. Back from the break, we get Vader backstage. He says he's declaring war on every WWF wrestler and official. And that includes you, Mr. McMahon, and you, Mr... Um, Vader was never great with promos I think he was referring to King uh, Vader then smashes up a bin 100 Hells Helmsley's out next accompanied by model Shay Marks to the ring he has quite a decent match with Razor Ramon the kid gets involved using a giant baby's bottle to feed Razor if you will before spitting at him Razor chases him around ringside but ends up being counted out he then detects the Razor Edge Helmsley but he scarpers into the arms of Shay Marks and they leave together for comedic purposes, the final episode of Billionaire Ted. Ted says he had become successful by buying, buying old content and repackaging it, but he's tired of stealing old wrestlers. He wants the board to try and come up with one original idea. Scheme Gene eventually breaks the silence. He says he's got a great idea, but you'll have to find call his hotline to find out more. The WWF, not full of cheap imitations. Shawn Michaels is out for an in-ring interview with Vince McMahon. He says he's got a three-step program for 1996. The first one, win the Rumble. That's done. The second will come at WrestleMania. The third, well, the click has got some business to handle. There's a young man going around in the World Wrestling Federation taking credit for putting me out. Michael says the nine chumps in New York will be dealt with in due time, but he wants Owen Hart. Jim Cornette interrupts him. He says if Sean wants Owen, he'll have to go through him. For now and forevermore, Owen Hart we know as the man who took out Shaw Michaels. No match. 
Sean says he is willing to do anything in the world to get his hands on Owen Hart. Cornette then suggests that Sean puts his title show up in a match against Owen. Sean says he's waited 11 years for this chance. Well, you forget his match last year anyway. Uh, Sean asks the click, in this case the fans, how bad do they want Hart? The crowd respond positively. And what the click wants, the click gets. Goldust is out for a champion versus champion match with Bret Hart. His valet has a name now, Marlena. Brett is sporting a lovely black eye, so is Goldust, I, I suppose. Uh, mid-match, Marlena leads Goldust towards the back, but Razor levels Goldust and returns into the ring. As far as I'm aware, the first noise of Diesel's match with Bret Hart next month in your house came from a panic Vince McMahon while Brett was logging in the sharpshooter. Goldust submits. Brett then says he's found a robbed by a decision by Diesel. Brett wants a rematch with Diesel inside a 15-foot-high steel cage, so he has no more excuses. On to January the 29th, we get a rematch of the In Your House 4 main event with Diesel against British Bulldog. Yokozuna walks out during the match and gets a sucker punch in on Diesel. Late in the match, he attempts to break up a pin with a leg drop. Diesel moves, Yoko leg drops Bulldog and Diesel wins the match. An update with Doc Hendricks references the Eric Bischoff phone call to Vince McMahon that we will outline in a few minutes, along with a letter he sent to Vince McMahon. Not surprisingly, he isn't mentioned by name. Hendricks says, in the WWF they will fight for the right for their company and their fans. We cut to a billionaire Ted press conference with the Nacho Man and the Huckster. Billionaire Ted says, contrary to what the World Wrestling Federation says, he's not a hillbilly. A journalist asks whether they're trying to put the WWF out of business. He refuses to answer. Another asks about whether he undercuts the WWF's advertising rates. Again, no response. Isn't it true that he put his primetime show head-to-head with Raw to hurt the WWF? Isn't it true he could have put the show in another time slot? You don't care about the fans. You're trying to run the WWF out of business. This is just the, the, the general chat from the people in attendance. He wants to squish them like a bug. The next question asks, who's going to win the match between Nacho Man and the Huckster at WrestleMania? Huckster leans in and says it's in his contract that he never loses, which is quite ironic given that if you're actually tuning to Nitro uh, at the time this was airing, you'd actually be seeing Hogan lose to Flair. Uh, but that is said to be purely a coincidence, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, Henry O'Gowan and his tag team partner Hank defeat the Body Donners. Clarence Mason is back. He says Vader has a very good case for self-defence. A graphic on the screen says, Get well, gorilla, along with an address you can send mail to. After the commercial, we're back with what now presumably the actoring interim WWF president. It's Roddy Piper. Piper wants to know if this makes him Vince's boss. Piper praises the new generation. These guys are faster, stronger and smarter but they're a bit confused. Piper wants to introduce some rules for Vince points out that <coughs> he never lived by rules in his life. Everyone has to pay the Piper and Vince is no different. Piper picks him up for an airplane spin. We get a vignette from Cactus Jack. King thinks his name is Mankind. The video is focused on his missing ear. In the main event, Shawn Michaels slays Yokozuna after a decent match with a switch in music. After the match, Bulldog, Yokozuna, Owen Hart back Shaw into a corner, but Diesel comes out to even things up. Cornette says there is no dissension among his, amongst his men. He then challenges Shaw and Diesel to a tag match against Yokozuna and Bulldog next week. The two do wobbly hand gestures towards Cornette, appearing to accept, and Owen wants to know why he's not involved. And I think we have standing by Jim Cornette, allegedly standing by with Vader to try and... All right. Please. What's going on? What Tell us. Give us some explanation. Listen to me. Vader, it's declaring war. 
on every wrestler in the WWF and every official. And that includes you, Mr. McMahon and Mr. And we start uh, our discussion, really, for for the rest of the show. Uh, We'll start with the Vader angle on the Raw the night after the Rumble. Uh, Wayne, I thought this was really good. I thought it was fantastic. Um, This is what you'd expect from um, from Vader. You know, we've seen a lot of him in in WCW, and you know, I wouldn't wouldn't expect anything else. I would have expected it, you know, a bit more the night before. But you know, to to come in on a Monday Night Raw and 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 to do this and to dominate um, uh, Vega, um, and then uh, obviously Vader bomb, and then you know, manhandle the referees, and and then when Monsoon come in, (laughs) just when Monsoon took his glasses off and they went eye for eye and then Vader backed off a little bit and it's like I was like I was quite surprised by that but then obviously the tables turned and, and, and Vader just you know just taught him a lesson really everything from start to finish off of this segment alone was was absolutely brilliant Chris as as we said in the rumble bit I love Vader and the fact that he absolutely annihilated Savio Vega was great then to put over how big and strong he is, yeah, we know the referees are smaller guys, but lobbing them around like they literally were children was great. Um, obviously, I'm not sure what it is that's wrong with Vader, which is why he's having obviously to so quickly. But it's a great way to put him out of story, and it gives you something definite to bring him straight back in with when he comes back. Because um, obviously you've got a straight away the anti authority side of it. You can have him sort of go against. He's already a massive heel and go against any of your baby faces. But it also sort of is the perfect way to write someone off TV and not harm them at all. It's not you know they're being put out of commission or anything like that. He has been suspended because he is a monster. Yeah, um, I think you'd have to go back 18 months to that Bob Backlund segment with, with Lujian Fredo, the, the WF magazine writer, the kind of September, October 94 since to find an angle this good. And I don't think that was as good as this. This, this is a really, really good segment. Um, and I think one of the great things is that because we don't see rest, you know, it'd be a very easy thing to do to have wrestlers, you know, put their hands on, you know, you look at Brian Pillman in, uh, in, uh, in volume two of this much show, it'd be very easy to have wrestlers put their hands on, on non wrestling people. And it's, yeah, an easy way to generate heat, but the kind of thing that you could overdo very quickly and devalue. The fact that we generally don't see referees getting hit beyond in matches, um, and the fact that Gorilla Monsoon came out and was willing to take that kind of punishment, um, very, very effective. I thought they did a tremendous job. It's a fantastic way to introduce Vader. I mean, you know, as, as I said last month, part of it is Vader is going to come out and people are going to go, whoa, like, you know, this isn't, this isn't one of the other guys, the guy that has a visual impact when, when he comes in. I, I mentioned kind of Terry Funk and it's like, well, people don't know who he is. He just looks like an old man. With Vader, it's different. You don't have to know who Vader is to be immediately kind of awestruck by him. 
Um, the segment was fantastic. It was quite timely given that the following night, uh, on, on the Clash of Champions, Paul Orndorff indirectly mentions him about, you know, beating down a 450 pound gorilla, getting, or, yeah, and getting back up and stomping him in the face. Um, I suspect that was quite well timed by WCW's part as well. Um, but WWF have got a star here. We talk about their lack of heel depth. They've still got that. You know, we're, we're looking at their top two matches at WrestleMania effectively being all babyface matches. Um, Assuming it's Brett and Sean and Diesel and Undertaker, I think that's what it's going to be. They need heels. I don't know how long Vader's going to be out for, but he will come back in as number one, and quite rightly so, and, and they've still got their issue where, you know, they need to build out other guys. Um, but we can transition, Chris, quite nicely into they need heels. Uh, they've just introduced Steve, Steve Austin. I'm a little disappointed that it wasn't a, a magician, the ringmaster character, and it is a bit... <laughs> generic uh, you know but he did get a promo in this month he sounded quite good and as as we heard in the intro um cactus jack is coming in i don't think he's going to call cactus jack um but he's coming in as well uh two guys that if they're clever enough and it would be a an interesting nod to wcw to say we're gonna make three of your heels for the last two years are one two three um not, not, not one, two, three, kid, uh, one, two, and three. But Chris, I, I'm fully behind it. You know, if, if they're going to recognize star power and talent that WCW, I think, to an extent, with certainly Austin and, and Jack, I think they, they, they got their money's worth out of Vader. Uh, I think they're more power to them. The thing with what, by the looks of it, they're doing with Cactus, we obviously don't know where that's going to go, but they're starting it perfectly because they're using his his best attribute, which is his talking ability. And I don't know what what the plan is for Jack or what they're going to do with him and what this character will be, because no doubt it won't be the character Jack that we've seen in ECW. But if he's going to have a month, two months of tiny little vignettes, promos to build something... I would I would back him to the hilt that he'll do it and do it well. Um, Austin, I'm a little bit worried about him being with million, with a million dollar man. Looking at you know the rest of the million dollar corporation and it basically being a bunch of losers. Yeah, it is a it's a jobber heel stable. I would probably not want to be near million dollar man, but it's something. It's something to bring him in. Uh, and a lot of guys join the Million Dollar Corporation as losers. I suppose. Mm. As in Austin hasn't been beaten yet. He had a good showing at the Rumble. Yeah. Um, it could be worse, I guess. I mean, the Ringmaster is a pretty awful name. I know, I, I joke about it sounding like a magician. I mean, it sounds like a gimmick out of the 1950s. You know what I mean? It sounds like a, yeah. a, a, a mid-card Arn Anderson type gimmick. You know, he's the ringmaster. He's just a good worker. It's like, okay. Um, they have already used his proper name. So whether they're not planning on keeping him as the ringmaster for too long. Yeah, I found it interesting. Because on debut, they didn't call him Steve Austin. He was the ringmaster. I was listening quite closely if they referenced it. And then he comes out of the rumble and Vincent Mann is like, oh yeah, this is Steve Austin, the ringmaster. Okay, there's a little, you know, there's a little bit of incoherence there. I agree on Cactus Jack though, he is a, you know, you have to look at our walls last year, he is a phenomenal talker. He is probably the best in the business right now. I, yeah, I, I, 
I, I kind of said to Ric Flair, go, go, go and cut some of those promos you were cutting 10 years ago and I'll, I'll bring you back into the discussion. You're, you're, you're not hitting these averages at the moment. Um, and yeah, I, I, I will be inclined not to debut him until after WrestleMania. Um, as much as they need heels, um, I, I know that he, uh, he has, certainly hasn't finished with ECW yet. Um, and we know, as we've seen with the likes of the public enemy, I think Paul Heyman is quite keen where he's got leverage to have guys play out a natural story arc before they leave where he can um and i think to a point you know cactus jack they've been talking with him for for months i think so i get the sense to a point that they'll, they'll let that story play out if he comes back in after wrestlemania i think that's a big plus um wayne I, I know you haven't seen a lot of cactus jack beyond kind of hearing the promos but i guess the question is more related to austin what what do you think of these two signings yeah i mean there's not much more we can say about Katz's chat that, that we haven't already said. You know, 95 was, was an absolute phenomenal year for him and, uh, you know, an absolute coup for, for WWF that they've got him because, you know, this guy is a, is a great talker and, 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 you know, can really come off as a, as a really, uh, um, you know, as a really good heel, which, like we've said already, is, you know, is, is what we need. Um, but yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit reserved with with Austin at the moment. He's he's come in and you know, like you said, he's, he's got a non-generic gimmick. It's um, you know, the ringmaster. I mean, what what is it? Is you know, master of the ring? I'd, 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 I think that is what it is. Right. I, well, it's, I think it's, that is what, the what, idea. I'll tell you what it is. It, it's stupid. You know, just have him in as Steve Austin. You know, we we we've, you know we, we all know who he is. So It'd be like it, calling Aldo Montoya the Jobber. Well, if, yeah, if we true. start if we started yeah. labelling wrestlers by their <laughs> legitimate roles in the company, that that's well, kind we, of what it's like. The, 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 Jock trap monkey. The, sorry. Jock trap monkey. Yeah, Aldo Montoya, the jock trap monkey. Oh, oh. Jock trap on his head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, alright. Well, they, they, they do call Barry Horowitz the, the underdog, which, uh, which, which he plays on as well, doesn't it? So, yeah, I, I, I suppose. But, yeah, obviously, to, to go back to Austin, a bit reserved, you know, bit of a, bit of a crap character, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's also a bit reserved the fact that he's, he's joining the million dollar corporation, which, you know, we, you know, it stinks with, with losers. But, you know, the one positive I'd probably take out of it is they've put that, you know, it doesn't really mean anything, but they've put that million dollar title on him and, you know, they've given him something to, to hold and to talk about and, you know, give him a bit of prominence on, 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 the, on the roster. And, you know, we, we, we all know that he can talk. So there's, there's no doubt that he'll probably be able to, to talk his way out of this character and, 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 and be Steve Austin that, that we all know from, uh, um, from, from, you know, whether it's ECW or, or whether it's going back to WCW. So I think they've done really well in, in getting these and, you know, there's, there's, we're going to go on to the billionaire tag segments in the way in in a minute, and I think there's no other better way to 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 stick it to uh, to the likes of WCW to to turn what they thought was was non non stars into actual into actual stars rather than stupid segments like billionaire Ted. Well segued. Four months after the beginning of WCW Monday Nitro, the WWF fired what can be considered its first barrels of the battle with a series of segments airing on Monday Night Raw called Billionaire Ted's Wrestling War Room. The segments, which were not only hyped as major events on each of the shows, also closed both New Year's Day and January 8th Raws. They were presented as mock segments, with actors dressed up to play Ted Turner as Billionaire Ted, Hulk Hogan as The Huckster, and Randy Savage as The Nacho Man, along with some executives. Conspicuous by his absence, and potentially a good illustration about how the WWF and Vince McMahon want to frame the rivalry was Eric Bischoff. 
also parody during the month, although not directly involved in the segments, was Mean Gene Oakland as Scheme Gene. The New Year's Day segment saw billionaire Ted appeal to his board, along with the Hookster and the Nacho Man, about wanting to see more action. Clips played of the razor's edge before an exec asked Hogan whether he could pull off the move. No way, brother, came the response. Nacho Man was similarly as negative when asked if he could replicate Ahmed Johnson's Tiger Bomb. The final clip showed Shawn Michaels throwing himself off a ladder. Brother, at my age, my feet don't leave the ground. Turner then asked what the pair could do, with Hookster and Nacho Man standing up and doing trademark poses. The segment signed off with the WWF New Generation, on top of the hill, not over it. Things really heated up on January the 8th with the war room once again in the closing spot on the show. This time, billionaire Ted wanted a new catchphrase. They threw around ideas before Nacho Man suggested that the Where the Big Boys Play slogan may fall down if they were made to take a legitimate drug test. This segment ended with a line saying, WWF, there's nothing old or unofficial here. Of course, this is only true if we ignore Sonny's boob job, which was quite prominently featured the following week. After the segment, the WWF posted the following on their America Online service. The WWF is concerned about the health and well-being of its talent. Although on tonight's Raw program, we use satire to demonstrate a point about the WWF steroid policy, as opposed to Ted Turner's WCW, we realise that the use of steroids and other drugs of abuse is a serious issue and can pose health risks. Therefore, in a personal letter to Ted last week, I challenged him in the interest of the health and well-being of all of his athletes under his umbrella, as well as mine, to implement a policy which would adhere to the same strict standards which the WWF adopted several years ago. It then suggested that both companies should jointly choose an independent testing agency. In the WCW volume of this month's show, we will detail their response to all of this much more, but two pieces of communication from Eric Bischoff, who wasn't acknowledged by name, did make it to air. The first was an answer phone message Bischoff left after the January 15th ratings came in and Nitro scored a big win, expressing his delight at the Billionaire Ted segments. The second part was a letter dated January the 23rd, Bischoff responding to letters sent by McMahon to Ted Turner and one from lawyer Jerry McDevitt. Bischoff's letter read that although the segments were initially mildly amusing, they had become defamatory and disparaging to WCW and its wrestlers. It ended by saying WCW has a comprehensive substance abuse policy which includes drug testing before declining the invitation to join forces on this. As for whether these segments would likely put the company in any legal hot water, it said that the WWF will be using the defence of satire and parody, and the likely fact that any WCW case would likely be unsuccessful. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have a, have a statement I'd like to read. Contrary to what the World Wrestling Federation may like you to believe, I am not a hillbilly, and I don't wear cheap suits. Now, question, please. Yeah, who's, uh, right, right here, yeah. Billy Ted, is it true you and your $4 billion conglomerate are trying to put the World Wrestling Federation out of business? I'm not going to answer that question. Next question. Oh, yeah, right here, yeah. Billionaire Ted, is it true you provide double the programming of the WWF, yet you purposely undercut their advertising rates? Uh, hey, well, uh, I, uh, why, uh, all right, yeah, all right, um... I'm not going to answer that question either. The facts speak for themselves. Next question. All right, all right, right here, right over here. Billionaire Ted, yeah. isn't it true you put your primetime imitation of Monday Night Raw head-to-head with Raw to hurt the WWF? Yeah, you're a, you're a pretty smart fella, aren't you? Yeah, good. Next question. Yeah, you're a young lady. Billionaire Ted, since you own networks, isn't it true you could have placed your primetime wrestling show on at another time? 
or even another night of the week? Don't you think the fans would have preferred that? Well, yeah, you're you're a pretty smart reporter too. Hey, hey listen, why, why don't y'all come work for me? You know, I, I own a news network too. It'd be great. It's uh, next question. All right, yeah, yeah, right back here, yeah. So let's face it, billionaire Ted, you really don't care about the fans. You're just trying to run the WWF out of business, aren't you? Well, it's like I told Rupert Murdoch, I'll squish him like a bug. Yeah, all right. Next question. Right, right here. Yeah. Dr. Man, speaking of squishing someone like a bug, who do you think is going to win your match with the Huckster at WrestleMania? Oh, thinking, thinking, thinking. Oh, wait, brother. It's in my contract with Billionaire Ted that I never lose. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at him. Yeah, let's, uh... Listen, why don't we uh, take another question real quick here, yeah? Uh, yeah, right, right over here, yeah. Billionaire Ted, back to the question of greed. What wouldn't you do to put the WWF out of business? Well, hell, I won't use my own money. I mean, that'd be just out of... Wait, 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 I, I want to say is something wrong, or... What? Uh, uh, Jane, Jane, where's my lithium? Chris, talk, talk us through this. Well, where where do you start with the wrestling war room? Um, it's very low blow satire of. Do you mean low brow? Yes. Yeah, lo- low bl- low brow. I was like, okay, I wonder where he's going Um Where it is? Let, let's see the obvious things that's wrong with them, and let's point point and fight, make fun of it. You know. The fact that Ted Turner is Southern, the fact that, you know, he signed these guys that were big in the 80s, and that Turner's idea to sort everything is throw money at it. You know, we've seen that with the fact that he just bought a news company, he bought all the old films to do his film channel, he bought old cartoons for his cartoon channels. You know, his thing is, if I like it, I'll just buy it. And... You know, it is comedy at the lowest common denominator is let's put, find the obvious thing and point at it. But it's, it's quite funny to watch. Why? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I think it seems really petty. I think one of the things we were talking about when we was doing the WCW reviews is, you know, they're giving results away and... Um, other, other, you know, other things that the uh, that WCW are doing, and I think you know, just focus on your own product, just focus on your own guys, um, you know, be proud of what you've got, and you know, don't worry about the competition, you know, just just focus on what you're doing. There's there's no point um, going on and, and and doing these you know stupid segments, um, you know, with obviously with Ted Turner and and you know the rip off Hulk Hogan and, and, and Macho Man. Um, however. Um, I'd probably say the scheme gene parts uh, did actually make me laugh. Um, I did actually like them. Uh, just poking fun at the, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of obviously going against what I'm saying here, but um, you know, it did make me chuckle a, a little that they went on about the, you know, the hotline and how they'd already announced that Vader was going to make an appearance in the Royal Rumble, and then you know, through one of the Raws, scheme gene was making out that he had this big announcement of who was going to be making an appearance, and then right at the end it was like, yeah, it's going to be Vader, and then Vince was like, we already know, and then it just goes off, you know, that did just uh, make me chuckle, but you know, going on about, you know, 
Hulk Hogan, just let them be. You know, they've gone over there now. Just, just let them be and and, and just focus on on what you're doing and, and and moving forward in that way. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the the the, the scheme gene stuff. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I think that they got that bit right anyway. Um, I will give. I don't know if credit's the right word. I have a lot of admiration for them for finally firing a bullet back. Um, I kind of feel like you can only sit there and get the the piss beaten out of you. Not not you know not piss beaten out of you. You can only sit there and uh, and take so much verbal abuse before you eventually snap and fight back, or before eventually you've got to say something because otherwise you look like you're just a bit of a pussy. You know what I mean? Um, that being said, I don't know that this was the answer. I don't know that, I don't know that burning bridges with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage was a good idea. Hulk Hogan's contract will be up at the end of this year. Who knows where we will be in 12 months time, but if, you know, Hogan will probably go and talk to WWF, if for nothing else, to get a bit of leverage, we can get a bit more money. We know what Hogan's like. And if if there's any interest there from Hogan's side, I don't know. This this has kind of helped. And equally, forget that. Say say you can bring back Hogan and Savage in twelve months' time. You've just told your audience they're over the hill. I don't know that you can go back on this now. This wasn't like a one-off thing. This wasn't a a comment from Vince McMahon on commentary. This is week after week after week on television. They want to do this match at WrestleMania, Nacho Man and the Huckster. I don't know whether we'll get that far. But it's like, yeah, you may get to the point very soon where you're at the point of no return. There's that. But equally, Chris, this all is going on in the backdrop of the WWF trying to sign the Ultimate Warrior, who in many ways encapsulates everything that they'll be ribbing WCW about if the Ultimate Warrior was winning WCW. Yeah, that is a massive contradiction. We don't want the roided up egos from the 80s, so we're going to go and sign quite possibly the biggest ego the biggest who, roided up guy of them all. Yeah, who basically already has burnt bridges with what he did at SummerSlam 91, where he decided, I don't want to go out there unless you give me a pay rise and give me more money right this second. You know, we've, we've already got previous with him and his no-showing and he's a liability. He doesn't turn up for dates. I don't see what the benefit is with with going this way, especially if you're trying to push this whole new generation and trying to build these new guys. What of all of the people from the eighties? He's the one I would definitely wouldn't go near. If anything, I'd have probably gone back after Macho Man and got Macho Man back because he can still work. Well, when he's not injured. He says as Macho Man is, is currently still, the, still their champ, or their champion once again. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with, with Wayne on the sentiment that I, I kind of feel like the, the far better way of, of sticking it to WCW would kind of be taking all the talent they don't want and, and turning them into stars. I think that's the better way to fire back. It's less impactful. It's less newsworthy to a point. Um, I don't know how you could spin the the Steve Austin promo from ECW and make it WWF 
relevant, friendly, viable. I don't know how you can do that, but I wonder whether that would have worked. Like, get a guy like Austin in and just, you know, and also you can't be his insider and, you know, you, you I guess to a point you don't want to say, well, I wasn't good enough to make it in WCW. I'm now going to make it in WWF, I suppose. Um, but wait, I, I, it just, I don't know that this was the answer to the question of how do we fire a shot back at WCW. And a second point for you, Wayne, Eric, the Eric Bischoff letter was a different step. I don't think you've seen that because I don't think you said you haven't seen the final episode of the month. But they had a screenshot on on the final episode. Uh, they basically had a photo on the final episode of Raw of the Month of a letter sent by Eric Bischoff to Vince McMahon. Like we're going way over, you know, 1980s style wrestling storytelling here. We're going way beyond that. Yeah, well, it's uh, it, 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 it seems it is like we're, we're taking a more realistic stance on it now. Is uh, everything, whether it's shots being fired and like you said, I, I wasn't aware of uh, of, of, uh, of this letter. Um, what does the letter contain? Just uh, it's, it's not a lot. It's, it's basically uh, we, we recapped it in the audio piece that, that the Stu read out a few minutes ago. Basically, it's a it's a general kind of you know. He starts off by saying, you know, while we initially enjoyed the segments because there's a great bit. Well, obviously, you know, they mention it on TV, um, but there's there's a thing earlier this month where Bischoff rings up Vincent Mann, gets through to his uh, I think it's his secretary, and says, "Yeah, we, we just beat you by a whole point in the ratings. Keep going with this." And then the letter says, "While we initially found it funny." We're getting to the point now where it's a bit boring. It's a bit, um, you know, it's a bit legally on on wobbly ground. I don't think WCW are going to sue. I don't think they can. Um, and then he basically ends up by saying, "We've got a very good steroid testing, a, a very good substance abuse policy, should I say?" Um, and that's really it. So it's, it's it's a fairly boring letter. They don't read it out. It's not on the screen very long. You, you only know these concepts really. If you're able to, you know, if you've got a recording of it, you can pause it. Um, but yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like. This is going over 95% of your audience's head. Maybe yeah. less with the Hogan and Savage stuff, because, you know, a lot of them know Hogan and Savage, and you can infer we're calling them old by what they're saying. But I don't know that the, the stuff with the Bischoff letter and the stuff with the drug testing, I don't know that that's hitting enough of your audience to be worthwhile. No, no, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, like you said, he's probably going to go over the majority of the, uh, the, the viewers' heads, you know, whether... Any of them are, are, are going to know what a what a steroid trial is. Whether any of them would have uh, known about um, how you know how they're obviously going to know how big, how big they were in the eighties, but obviously how the relationship that they had and obviously going over to WCW. I think it's they're just breaking out of storyline mode, and and and, and I, I, I don't think it's necessary. And Chris. Just reminding people that Hogan and Sarah are on the other channel. The thing is, um, with that, oh, sort of, there are territories that don't get WCW. So the fact they're not seeing Hogan and Macho Man, just they're not there anymore. It doesn't mean anything. But to sort of promote the fact that they are on a different company, is that giving them the promote the promotion that people actually go out and try and find them? Because it's not like, it's Nostalgia. not like this, this athleticism is drawing. It's not like Shawn Michaels flinging himself off the bar, bad example. It's not like Ahmed Johnson's Tiger Bomb is drawing crowds. You know, it's all well and good saying we've got all these athletes, but it's like, 
Yeah, but they've got the stars. They've got people I'm invested in, or at least I was. I, I don't know. It's, it's, as I say, I, I give them a lot of credit for firing a shot for, for, you know, well, more than one, five if you like. I just don't know whether it started off as a, oh, we need to fight back, and it ended up being a man- manifestation of Vincent Mann's anxieties and his fears about Ted Turner and all this other stuff. Fascinating that Eric Bischoff, other than you can see his name in the corner of that letter, Eric Bischoff does not feature in any of these segments. I think it says a lot about how Vincent Mann sees this battle, this rivalry. There's a lot of stuff that's gone between him and Ted Turner in the past. A lot of it is out in the press. More than it's been about wrestling, it's more been about Vince firing shots and Ted saying the other thing back at an opportune time. It says a lot about Vincent Mann that this is him against Ted Turner, not him against Eric Bischoff, when if you watch WCW, if you're a paid to watching both, you'd kind of be like, who's Ted Turner? Like, you know, all right, if you're not ignorant, if you know about it, you know he was, and to a point, Turner is a celebrity in his own right, only in such a media conglomerate. But you watch Monday Nitro, Ted Turner isn't part of the show. He's not referenced, you know, they're not saying, thank you, Lord Turner, for giving us this hour of television every Monday night. The front of it is to a point, Eric Bischoff. And I don't know whether, you know, and I don't think people are sat watching WCW and thinking, oh, Nick Bockwinkle is the main guy. But they're not sat there thinking Ted Turner is either. We haven't seen Turner on WCW television, I think, in 18 months when it was the, the Hogan Flair contract signing back out of Bash at the Beach or all those yonks ago. I may be wrong on that. But we haven't seen him a lot. I think that's interesting. But anyway, that's where we will end this month's show. I'd like to thank firstly Wayne Lithgow. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, Wayne, you can be found on Twitter. I can. I can be found on WayneL84. And Chris Lacey. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, Chris, tell us where you can find you on Twitter and your WCW podcast. I am on Twitter personally at Lacey555666. And you can find the podcast Super Bowls where we have just got into 1991, which, oh my God, is a year of joy. An absolute craziness in WCW. Um, the first episode went up, uh, of 91 went up last week and hopefully touch wood next episode should be out this coming weekend. It's just Wrestle War 91 with the infamous Sid powerbombing Brian Pillman into the top of the war game cell. Oh, you can yeah. find that on iTunes, search Super Brawls, um, we're on Podbeam as well. And if you search Super Rules on Twitter and Facebook, you can find us on there too. You're catching up with us fairly quickly. We'll be at the uh, the Battle Bowl many times soon. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that show. We, we've got you. We've got you ready to come in for for when we get there. Excellent, excellent. So, but like, yeah, we've done the Battle Bowl thing before. And I can't I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, yes. Uh, what you got looking forward to? Uh, volume two, WCW. Uh, looking at the Clash of Champions, looking at Randy Savage uh, defeating Ric Flair for the title. We're looking at the WCW angle on the billionaire Ted stuff. You'll find out about some of their reactions, some paranoid and very interesting. ECW um, in Volume 3, uh, Buna McGillicutty is now pregnant. That is a, a segment to behold. Someone uh, got in a box. Yeah, yeah, well, well, well referenced. Uh, there is also uh, an, a very, very kind of 
awe-striking moment when the the Eliminators do the their total elimination finisher on Francine. I, I never heard quite such a hush over the ECW arena before as when that happened. And also the small matter of Raven winning the uh, ECW Heavyweight Championship. So you've got all that to forward, look forward to on the rest of the shows. Uh, you can uh, Everything's on Wrestling20YRS.com. If you're on iTunes, subscribe there. Leave us a rating and a review. And that'll do that. I've been Bob Bambert. This has been Volume 1 of the January 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.